we're going to be spending a lot of time in the book of Mark in, in this year. So this is the second week of Advent. Advent is a way that in Christianity we mark the calendar leading up until Christmas. Uh, there are four weeks of Advent. We're in week two, so we have two candles lit. Next week there will be three. The next week four and five. And so um, we're, we're counting down. We're waiting. We're hoping. We're practicing this idea of waiting for the coming of Christ. And uh, we're going to spend a lot of time in Mark. Mark is my favorite gospel. A lot of people uh, would say, well, that's weird. Most preachers like John, which is true. Most preachers do like John. I like Mark. I like the pacing of Mark. Mark doesn't, uh, he does, he's very candid. He doesn't beat around the bush. You don't really have to spend a whole lot of time wondering what he's talking about. You can just read it and then move through this pace of Mark really quickly. His favorite word is immediately. So he'll say, this thing happened, immediately following, this other thing happened, immediately following, this other thing happened. And it's just this rapid pace of information and stories and amazing things that are going on. And we're left to use our imagination. We can add some flesh to the bones. And, and I love reading scripture and imagining, what was that like? What did that smell like? Who all was there? What were those people about? And Mark leaves a lot of room for that. Mark also is the oldest gospel. It was the first one written. It's the first one that we have. And John, I mean Luke and Matthew, use Mark as a source a lot of times for some of the things that they've written down as well. Now, we don't know exactly who Mark was, who wrote the book of Mark. We know that they called him John Mark. And um, we know that he was literate. So he could read and he could write. There's a theory that a lot of the stories that Mark tells us are actually Peter's stories that Peter told to Mark, and then later on Mark decided that he would write them down for a specific people in a specific place for a specific time. And what we know is that those people were in deep grief. They were struggling with life, their culture, the way that they marked time, their religion, the place of their worship had literally just been destroyed. The temple had just been destroyed and was in ruins. And Mark writes this gospel to bring them good news, which is what gospel means is good news. We're going to start with chapter 1, verse 1 of the gospel of Mark. The beginning of the good news of Jesus Christ, the Son of God. As it is written in the prophet Isaiah, See, I am sending my messenger ahead of you who will prepare your way. The voice of one crying out in the wilderness, prepare the way of the Lord, make his path straight. John the baptizer appeared in the wilderness proclaiming a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins. And people from the whole Judean countryside and all the people of Jerusalem were going out to him and were baptized by him in the river Jordan confessing their sins. Now John was clothed with camel's hair, with a leather belt around his waist, and he ate locusts and wild honey. He proclaimed, The one who is more powerful than I is coming after me. I am not worthy to stoop down and untie the thong of his sandals. I've baptized you with water, but he will baptize you with the Holy Spirit. May God give us wisdom and courage for interpretation, and may God give us wisdom and courage as we try to apply the truth of Scripture to our lives. Amen. 
this last week, um, I went to the doctor's office with my daughter, Elise, and I have Elise's permission to tell this story. That's a rule in our house. If I'm going to tell a story about somebody who lives there, I have to get their permission, and so I have her permission to tell this story. Last spring, Elise was playing volleyball a lot, and she came home, and one of her knees was hurting. And then a few weeks later, the other one was hurting. And off and on, periodically throughout the spring and throughout the summer, when she would do something, playing volleyball or whatever, she would come home from school or come home from practice or the game limping. And and it was concerning to me because I've had several knee injuries and knee surgeries, and I just didn't want to see my own kid go through that, you know. And so I kind of watched closely, but then she would stop limping and everything would be fine. And I never saw any swelling um, and so I didn't figure that there was a tissue, da- any tissue damage, but I thought, what do I know? I'm not a doctor. And so this last week, uh, she and I went elk hunting, and she, I, I pushed her pretty hard. She was walking two to five miles per day probably, and at the end of that, she was limping and grimacing and really hurting, and so I thought, well, I've kind of screwed this up apparently. So I made her a doctor's appointment, and we went to the doctor this last week, and um uh, We get to the doctor's office, and we sat down, and we waited. And we waited a little bit more. And I got my phone out, and I decided I was going to check some emails. So I did that. And then... I got my phone out again, and I thought, maybe I'll play some games. And then I realized I only had 2% on my phone, and I needed my phone to be charged because what if somebody calls and needs me? So I waited, and she waited, and she had her phone out, and it was working fine because apparently a kid's more uh, disciplined at charging their phone than a grown adult is. But I look around, and they don't have any good magazines. Apparently, they expect people to live in the modern age and use their phones for entertainment, and they're not going to provide you with good reading anymore in a doctor's office. And so we just waited. And then finally, they called our name, and we went to the back, and uh, she had to have some x-rays done, and uh, so we waited (laughs) for them to come and get us and take us us into the room where she was going to have her x-rays done. And so they came and they got her. And they took her in. And I waited. (laughs) And I waited kind of nervously because I didn't know what they were going to find out in there. And I remember when I have x-rays, the actual x-ray, you know, most of you probably had x-rays. An x-ray does not hurt. But sometimes it's the position that they put you in if you have an injury that does hurt. And so I thought, well, maybe they know how to twist her knee around in a way that's going to cause it to hurt so they can get a good picture of it. So I was just kind of nervous for my kid, you know, and worried about what was going on in there. But instead of being able to do anything about it, I waited. And so she came out, and she was fine from the x-ray, no problems at all. And they took us to another room, and we went in, and they closed the door, and you know what we did. We waited. We sat there and we looked at posters and we talked about like what is a knee replacement and they had models of knees in there and 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 I was afraid she was nervous. Well, I knew she was nervous because she told me and so there we were looking at jerseys on the wall and talking about various things. I was trying to keep her distracted, which I wasn't doing very good because I was nervous too. And then the doctor came in and guess what we did when the doctor came in? 
waited because that guy wanted to talk to us about things like his daughter playing volleyball, where she played, and what clubs are good and what clubs aren't good. And I'm like, dude, could you just hurry up and tell us what's going on here? And so he finally gets around to telling us what was wrong with her knee. So there are two kinds of waiting. There's that kind of waiting where you sit and you wait and you hope and you have some anxiety but you just wait. We've all done that, right? A lot of times at doctor's office you do that because you're afraid of what the diagnosis is going to be, what the doctor is actually going to tell you is wrong with you or the person that you're with. But there's the other kind of waiting. And the kind of waiting that I did uh, starting the day before Christmas Eve of 2003 when I found out that Michelle was pregnant with who we now know as Elise. And then a few years later, when we found out that Michelle was pregnant with who we now know as Emery. And you know that kind of waiting. It's different. That's a different kind of waiting. That's the kind of waiting you do with excitement. That's the kind of waiting you do by spending a bunch of money on paint and furniture and new carpet and cleaning supplies and some more furniture and all of the stuff that goes along with waiting for a new baby to be born. I mean, did you know you have to replace all the carpet in your house when you're going to have a new baby? I didn't. But that's part of that kind of waiting. And then, like a few weeks before the baby is going to be born, the waiting changes again, and they call it nesting, where you clean and clean and clean, like in the corners where the baseboards are, that little top of the baseboard where dust collects. You have to clean that as part of your preparation and as part of your waiting. It's active waiting. It's preparing. Listen to what John the Baptist says. Prepare the way of the Lord. Make his paths straight. We're waiting. We're waiting for the fullness of the kingdom. Jesus came and said the kingdom of God is at hand. It's now. There's nothing to wait for, except there's another place where it says, right now, you see as though you're looking into a mirror that's dimly lit, but there will come a day when you can see into that mirror and clearly and plainly see things as they really are. Every once in a while, a spark will light up enough that you can see clearly if you're watching and you're waiting. Every once in a while, we'll see the fullness of the kingdom of God, but you have to watch and you have to wait. A few weeks ago, I sat in my office with Chuck, and we were having a conversation, and in the midst of that conversation, a spark went off, and between us, I could sense the real kingdom of God, the fullness of it. There was this interaction we had where we both recognized we care about each other deeply, And want the best for one another. Those things happen all the time. I call them sparks. Because they light things up where we can see clearly that mirror that right now we see dimly lit. This idea of preparing the way of the Lord and making this path straight comes from an ancient idea that when an important person would be coming to town, they would send people out to literally make the path right. So there might be a big rock in the middle of the road because the, the path had been beaten down so much, and they would go through and they would dig out that big rock, 
and they would pack it with dirt and smooth that section out. Or there might be a low spot in the road where water was rushing down an arroyo and washed out part of the road, and they would go in and fill that part in with dirt and try to level it as best as possible. Or there might be a really high point on the road, and they would go and they would knock that part down and smooth it out as best as possible. They were preparing the way for the important person to come. And John says, go, prepare the way for the Lord. That is our job. There are two kinds of waiting. There's the passive waiting where you're in a doctor's office messing with your phone or flipping through a magazine. And there's the active kind of waiting where you're cleaning and you're preparing for an important person to come and arrive at your house. Whether that be the birth of your child or a friend you haven't seen in a long time or a group of friends to come to your house to have dinner. There are two kinds of waiting. The one that is fun and that you're preparing for something great. And then there's the other kind where you're waiting A little bit of dread, but you're bored and you don't know what to do. We have been given marching orders to prepare the way of the Lord, to make paths straight, to level them out, to take the big bumps out, to work and to live and to hope and to pray and to be the sparks that shine light into dark places. In the name of Jesus Christ, by the power of the Holy Spirit, may we be people who live as sparks and set fires everywhere we go to shine light into the darkness. Because Scripture tells us that the darkness cannot overcome the light. Amen.